0: I want to start a sermon series today called Taking a Servant's Towel or the Servant's Towel series. Um, So much of my heart and so much of my belief is settled in this one idea that uh, service to the King is going to be the primary thing by which we're measured. Ultimately, the great welcome into the eternal dwellings is well done, good and faithful servant. And so this. This idea at the foundation of our walk with God is the way we serve, not just God, but His people. This is fundamental and deep within my spirit about something something built into the fabric around here. Jesus said a number of times, be careful and be aware and guard your heart. And He put that responsibility on us. Sometimes we feel like he's going to be the one who does all the guarding of the challenges of our life. But Luke 21, he said, Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down. John 14, Don't let your heart be troubled. Mark 13, uh, don't be alarmed when you hear of wars and rumors of wars. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything. And we could go on. I'm just giving you a sense of there is this basic expectation that you and I have a responsibility when it comes to our own hearts. And when Jesus says this, he's assuming that I'm going to play an active part in the protection of my own heart. It's not all up to him. And we are going to be best served when we have a deliberate plan of action to guard our hearts to avoid what is evil and to embrace what is good. We have to make this plan to protect our hearts just as Proverbs exhorts us to do. Because it says the issues of your life proceed out of your heart. So Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with vigilance for out of it as uh, one version says, flows the issues of life. Out of it are the sources of life. Um, this guarding of our hearts is an important step. Now, that being said, every one of us has had an opportunity to practice this in the last three years because there's been this global pandemic and there's been some challenges and there's been some press and most of us are coming through this era and going. I'm just glad that's over. It's like hitting your head against the wall. It's nice when you stop. I'm just so glad these last three years are done. I'm moving on. But the danger of where we are is that it's like saying to an abuse victim, "Okay, the abuse has stopped now. Now it's all over, right?" Well, no. There's there's some repercussions to what happened, and there are some repercussions that are reverberating now, and we're all feeling the effects. The post-COVID effects in society, socioeconomically and various other ways. The whole world, it seems to me, is in the grip of what I call PTPD, post-traumatic pandemic disorder. We're all feeling a little bit like a little bit. In in, uh, 2021, 47 million Americans resigned from their job. That's almost 25% of the workforce, 24, 23 and a half percent of the workforce, slightly less in 2022. The this, this, this sense of this, uh, in, in the, one of the stats I was reading, one of, the, one of the surveys said 40% of all employees were thinking about leaving their jobs in 2022 within the next three to six months. In uh, the beginning of January 2021, 20, uh, there were 11.26 million job openings in the U.S., that's only slightly down at the beginning of this year. We've, we've, we're at 10 and a half million jobs. Getting people back to work is a little challenging. The great resignation is a symptom, I guess, of all the stress that people have been under. Because at some point, a weary human heart simply comes to the end of its reserves and says, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Stop the world. I want to get off. I can't take this anymore. And millions of people started quitting their jobs in numbers never before seen. I don't want to. I'm done. And so the question is, what caused this? And I was reading a book by John Eldridge called Resilient, which I'd recommend. And he says, the trauma response, the weary heart, the grasp for things to be good again, the great and terrible falling away, that human landslide of weary and bitter hearts, is filled with people who have reached the point where their hearts have simply decided to settle for relief without the king. I'll take some happiness now, thank you very much, and whatever to the king. It's that subtle and that awful. We could call it the great spiritual resignation. We spent a great deal of time in the the sermon series building up to the end of last year, talking about slowing our lives down, simplifying our lives, strengthening kingdom priorities, getting back to the ancient paths, the eternal wisdom that Jesus spoke about, and doing the things that Jesus weighed, doing what He told us to be doing in order for us to get back to kingdom health and whole lives, Our goal is not to go back to the pre-COVID days. I want to go forward to a wiser, better paced, more clearly focused, more aptly disciplined way of life. But one of the most dangerous problems that faces the church is that this general malaise of, I just need peace. I just want to back out of life draws believers away from the church and from service in God's kingdom. And so just like in jobs, you can universally across the church, there's been a falling away from church. It's an insidious and terrible issue, this. It's extremely dangerous to the health and vitality of our spiritual lives. And it feels like the mood of many congregations has changed and solidified into, well, what's in it for me? People have got used to staying at home, right, because the church is shut down as part of the, the deal, and many businesses shut down, and, and, and people watched from home, and so that's honestly more comfortable for me. I don't have to wake up as early, I don't have to get the kids, you know, dressed in, in the car, and, and especially when the cold weather is. I liked watching services in my pajamas, <laughs> i mean, 't to be honest. I, it was fun, and it was great, but... Uh, the, the problem is for many people that became the new normal. And so people used to attend four times a month or now two or three times a month. People used to give their hearts and their lives and used to be in or now coming and sitting and say, yeah, I, I'll come, but I don't wanna serve. I just, just, the problem is that this general malaise has moved us from a place of open-heartedness and richness towards God into a place of, well, what have you got for me lately? What's in it for me? And so the danger of this is that we turn to a massive consumer idea in the church where it's okay, well now, they didn't sing the songs I liked, I'm not really sure. The message is okay, I'll give it a five. Maybe a six. Thank you. I'll take a six. Thank you. Because the attitude should be, I'd love to serve. Where can I serve? I want to take a servant's towel, put it over my arm and say, where can I serve? So full disclosure, open, honest, I want to move us from what's in it for me to where can I serve? That's my goal. Now I want to invite people to sign up to a place of service. And I do this not because I have a need. I do this because I genuinely believe with all my heart that the best possible advice I could give you is to get you engaged in service to our King. I swear this to you with all my heart. If I, wasn't, if I didn't believe this, I wouldn't tell you because I honestly believe with all my heart that the best possible spiritual thing that you could be doing is engaging in service to my King. Because on the other side, you will come up and thank me. Give all you can. Serve all you can. Pray all you can. Love as deeply as you can. Because for all eternity, you will be glad you did. And if I, as a shepherd of people who takes responsibility for you, if I didn't believe this with all my heart, if I believed this and I didn't say it to you, then that wouldn't be a loving thing. And so I'm faced with this issue that some people have just backed off and they're sitting back with what's in it for me. And I I just want to say, as lovingly and as graciously as I can, I've got to be honest with you. Get involved in service. You know, the grace teams of this church emerged out of one day, many years ago, I was calling my dad. He lived in another city, and then I had a big men's meeting coming up, and I was speaking to my dad, and I said, hey, by the way, I wasn't clear on what I wanted to say. I said, dad, what would you like to have from your church? You know, I and was, I was looking for sermon ideas. And he said, my church doesn't recognize me. And I thought he meant, I need, I need you know, sunshine blowing up my nose. I, I want somebody to celebrate me. And I... I was like, oh, that doesn't make sense. You know, Dad, it's unspiritual. And then uh, the more I thought about it, the more I recognized. My dad had a great heart of mercy. He loved the underdog. He, he poured out a lot of his life and his legal practice to, to the issues of justice. And in South Africa, there was a lot of need for that. And he, 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 he was motivated that way. And he, he, he loved widows and orphans. And he was moved in that. Mo- and, and I realized that if somebody in the church leadership he was in had recognized that about him and said, Tom, could you lead this? Could you take this on? He would have had sleepless nights and he would have pulled all his friends, his high-capacity friends, he would have financed that ministry himself. He would have pulled them all in and they would have got things done because if somebody had just recognized him, he said, my church doesn't recognize me. That thing mocked me. And it made me realize that there are people sitting in this room today and there's something in you that God has put in you and you know it's there. And you're supposed to use that to serve people. And I don't want to get in the way of that. And so the big quest is how do we find a mechanism? How do we create a, an opportunity for people to marry the grace that's on their life with an opportunity to serve the king? It's one of the most profound gifts we can give. The WIFM attitude, what's in it for me, comes for a show, for solace, for peace. But I can't deal in peace the way the world gives it. Jesus said, I give you my peace. It's not the world's peace. My peace comes a different way. Because I'm called to be an attendant of the bride. I'm not called to entertain people. I'm called to equip you for his return. I'm not trying to create consumer events on a Sunday, but environments for your growth and your well-being. I'm not called to entertain you till he comes. I'm called to equip you for his return. And the best way I know to soothe our collective's hearts is to apply this balm of truth and say, hey, getting back into service is the surest way I know to a healthy heart. And it's the surest way to ensure your children's establishment in the kingdom. i tell you the truth. I don't know what's going on with my kids. Get them involved in serving the king and let them serve with you and let your kids see that you submit to the king. Make that a value in your household. We serve our king. We give to our king. We put ourselves out for our king. Make that a habit in your household. When your kids get old, they won't leave church. I don't know what's going on with my kids. Might I suggest what you're modeling might have something to do with where they end up. One of the best ways to get you connected to a church body. One of the quickest pathways to developing your gifts. It pours confidence and nourishment into our spiritual muscle. that brings joy. So let's talk about this call to service. I don't know what you like in your greatest moments of joy. I, I'm a sucker for those. You know the, 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 the music shows where somebody gets on stage and then they sing and it's a revelation. And they, and they get the golden buzzer. Like, I'm always crying at the end of that. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Somebody breaks the tape or, or, or one of the soldier dads comes home. Yeah. Oh, and they, whoa. There's something in our spirits innately that recognizes in that moment of supreme joy, that thing that you've hoped for and longed for and strived for. When, when that deal gets inked and it sets you up for the next decade, the finances, It just in that moment of victory. What do you do with that sense of, I'm the king of the world? You know what Jesus did? Let me take you there. John 13. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go back to the Father. Jesus is a full revelation. I am the creator God. I'm going back to sit at the right hand of my Father. I'm gonna go sit on the throne and every knee that ever there was, that ever I created is gonna bow before me. It's his revelation. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them even to the end. And the evening meal was in progress and the devil had prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. Think about that. Son, uh uh-huh. Every single thing in the universe, uh huh, is under your command. Uh huh. And that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So, motivated because of that fact, he got up from the meal and bought himself a new sports car. <clears throat> no. Went on a great vacation, bought a new home. took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. That you should go and do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The fundamental idea is that we are all called by Jesus to a ministry of service. I thought that the more mature I got as a believer or the more mature I got as a leader, that I would move further and further away from service. And I have discovered that every step I take in this direction is a step down and requires a more capacity to serve others. They didn't teach me that at Bible college. Somehow I got the idea that it was going to be stages and spotlights and acclaim, and green rooms. You're called to a ministry of service. And we've seen that fundamentally Jesus said this was an issue of an example. Jesus set an example for us. How do I know that you're called to ministry of service? Because Jesus modeled it for us, He set an example. We serve for His eyes. I don't serve because the rest of the disciples required it of me. I don't serve because I am lower than them. In fact, in this moment of the greatest revelation of his being, of who he was, Jesus could get up and serve other people, washing their feet, which was the most menial place of the most. This was the, the freshman servants. That's what they got to do. Was wash the feet of the guests. Jesus got up and took the lowest place and he served his disciples. Because his person, who he was, was not diminished an inch by the thing that he chose to do to bring glory to his Father. If you're going to get status from what God requires you to do, you're not going to make it. That was for about three people in the room. It's fine. The rest of you don't have to amen, but there's about three people that's going to change your life. We serve what the Bible calls the faithful and true witness, the God who sees. And every cup of water given in his name, every moment of service is recorded in his book. So Greg, give me reasons. Why should I serve? Number one, because Jesus set an example for you. Number two, because it's an invitation of the New Testament. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one of you, how many, what's the definition of all in the dictionary? All. All of you, every one of you, all, all y'all. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received. That Greek word is charismata. means a gift that came by God's grace on your life. Every one of you should use the grace that God put on your life to serve others. Now, I understand that many of us are leading, you know, some, some people have leadership, and some people have administration, and some people have communication, and some people have gift of showing mercy, and some people have hospitality, and some people have uh, the ability to show, give generously, and some people lay out truth easily, and some people explain things well to other people, and whatever grace God put on your life, the Bible says it's yours to take that grace and to use it to serve other people. Now God gives us, most people take the grace on their life and use it to secure for themselves a nice job and they use it to get ahead in their job and there's nothing wrong with that. Except if it's the only thing you use it for. Each one of you should use whatever charismata that is on your life, and you all have grace from God. Each one of you should use the grace gifts on your life to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You are responsible, invited, offered by the New Testament to be a faithful administrator of the grace on your life in service of other people. Whew. That scripture singularly is why I have no problem every year getting up in front of the church, looking everybody in the eye and say, I expect you to serve. I want you to be in service. I want every member of our church serving in the church. Why? Because it's the best possible thing you could do with your life. I have no higher respect. I have no other place that I think. There is no value in my heart that is greater than you taking your life and using it to serve my king. Those are the people I honor. Those are the people I esteem. I feel that deeply. Why should I serve Greg? Because Jesus left you an example. Because the New Testament invites you to it. Number three is because if you want to be great in the kingdom, that's the pathway. Matthew 20, Jesus said that the the pagan leaders lorded over other people. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. It does not matter how great we become on this side of eternity significantly wealthy. These are not the mechanisms of measurement of the kingdom. Jesus said, if your aim is to be great in the kingdom, and especially in any sort of leadership, then it's measured by the depth of your commitment to service. Some of you are looking at me, I, I didn't make this, I didn't write this. This is in, the Bible. Jesus equated a passion for greatness with an ability to serve. Yeah. If you want that, you have to learn this. Yeah. Yeah. Many will come to the feast. Jesus told a parable about people coming to the feast and finding their seats. And some people are looking for their name tag. And they're going to wander up close to Jesus. Oh, I don't see my name tag down here. And they ask one of the angels, hey, what's your name? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, come, come with me. Down? No, no, keep going. <laughs> don't you know who I was? I am. Some of the little people. Hey, what's your name? Oh, come up here. Come on. No, no. Sit over here. You know what, the, you know what determines that? Commitment to service. Greatness in the kingdom is based on that mechanism. Surely not. Surely not. Surely Truly, truly. Number four, why should I serve? Because it's a lay-by mechanism. Let me take you to 1 Timothy 3. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. That phrase, those, those who serve gain, literally in the Greek means a lay-by system. There, there's a place set aside for you that, that is a good standing. It's, it's one of the best seats in the house, basically, is the idea. And there's a lay-by plan that you, 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 a constant service establishes, p- puts you in good standing, in a good place to view the king and the kingdom. It's a lay-by system. Those who serve well gain an excellent standing and a great assurance. That, that word is used a number of places. Everywhere else it means boldness, stout-heartedness, a, a vibrant, passionate heart. If there's anything the church needs more than anything else, is an injection of a vibrant, stout-heartedness in these days. Because we're all a little tired from the COVID era. It was a little bit done with it. Just I want to get out of this. Well, this is the way. You want to get that sense of bold and stout-hearted, strong standing. Those who serve well gain it. I thought this was the grace church. Talk to me about grace. I I I am. I I tell you a truth. If you want to gain an excellent standing and a bold assurance in your faith, this is the way. Serve well. No, uh, I don't want to do that. If you could just tailor make an, a spiritual experience for me that doesn't include all of that serving stuff, I, I, don't, I, can't, I don't have it. There's no substitute. There's no amount of slick wording or fancy footwork or special songs we can sing that can produce that in people's lives. Get on God's lay-by system. Gain for yourselves an ideal standing and a great insurance, assurance in Jesus Christ. In the light of PTPD, the church needs us now more than ever. What's the answer, Greg? I I feel like I just need to go away to an island for three months. No. The God who made the island is standing right here. The God who made the rivers said, I want to be a river in you. You don't have to go to an island, you just have to obey what he tells you to do. Number five why should I serve? Firstly, Jesus gave us the example. The New Testament invites us to it. It's the pathway to greatness. It's a lay-by system of the kingdom. And basically, everybody just needs to give something back. It's wired into our basic programming. We know it's right to give something back to our community, to people who, don't, who can't handle it, who can't afford it, who, who, are, who are having a tough patch. To make a selfless gesture on behalf of other people, everybody gets that that's an honorable thing. I was reading an article uh, recently about the top you know, 100 companies to work in and how people just celebrated them and there was just this discussion about what created those companies and why there was some shift and moves of some companies that joined the list that weren't there and the, the biggest issue in the last two years of why those companies or the top 100 companies to work with had to do with how much money they gave away selflessly and how much they asked their employees to give to the community that had nothing to do with a business model. It wasn't about us making money. It wasn't a marketing plan. It was like, our customers are in trouble. We're gonna give some of our hard-earned money to them and we wanna ask you to help. It was remarkable. 1.6, 1.7, almost like a 70% increase of satisfaction at the workplace had to do with how much they gave outside the workplace. And in many cases, their their salaries and their bonuses were lowered because they gave and yet they loved it 70% more. It's because innate in all of us, innate in you and in me, we know that it's right and good and healthy to give something back to other people. Can I just say something? In this last year, I've watched as Tyler went out and asked some of his friends, could you help us with the children's ministry? We're a little bit low in volunteerism. Because apart from the fact that people used to come four times a week are now coming two or three times, and some of the people used to serve are now saying, I don't want to serve, but I'm happy to come. It just made the ink, just, just the, the amount of people who are ready and eager to serve, just the pool dropped off. And so Tyler was out there knocking on doors, and he just went to all his friends, and I watched some people go into the children's ministry. I watched Peter and Melissa, for example, just to pick on you guys. Beautiful people the kind of person that I'd love my child to get access to, or my grandchild. Vibrant, encouraging, on fire for God. Sharp people. And they gave up weeks on end to serve our kids. And many people like that. There were eight or nine couples like that. All high-capacity, good-quality people. The kind of people whom serving children is, to be honest, it's just a little bit below their capacity. You know, where I'm a You know, I'm somebody. And yet they were out there serving our kids, our five-year-olds and our four-year-olds and our two-year-olds. I love that. Can I salute you? Because people brought their strength. People brought what God had given them. And they spent it on behalf of our children or they spent it greeting people at the door or joining the worship team or helping in some way. They poured out the grace that God had given them and had made a difference in the lives of people. And I'll tell you something, bless you. If you're working in business and you're selling widgets, I hope you sell a million more. But the million more widgets that you sell is not gonna create an eternal sense of purpose for you. Oh, it'll help your bottom line now. It'll help you keep people employed, and I think that's all wonderful. But an eternal sense of worth comes when you take what God has given you and you use it for the sake of the king and his kingdom, where you spend it on behalf of the, of the bridegroom and his bride. That, that is the highest place of honor in my heart. i tell you the truth. I respect nothing more than that. Let me bring this to a close. I'm asking you to bring your strength. I'm asking you to sit down and pray about it and make a plan and engage your family in a place of service in this local body. Because I honestly believe with all my heart that that's the best spiritual advice I could give you. Because it will change your life It'll change your children's life, and it'll minister to many others. And that ministry is eternal in its weight. I want every one of our members serving somewhere. That's how Northland started. That's how I want to finish. When we started the church, because we were carrying chairs and, you know, sound equipment, and the rule was, everybody serves. Everybody serves. And then I watched a CEO stacking chairs, helping with the chairs one day. And I thought, that's good. He's not above stacking chairs. Because everybody serves. Then I thought about it. Go, if I only had an hour to use him this week, and he said, where do you need me? Probably wouldn't use him stacking chairs. I'd rather use the gifting of leadership on his life to help lead something. So our rule changed from everybody serves to everybody serves using the grace on your life. Yeah. And since then, that's been our rule. COVID bumped us off that. COVID set a new normal. I just wanna to say today, we're opening the back door of 2022. And we're kicking all of that out. And we're closing the door and we're opening up to a new day. And that's really what the Lord was saying. And all those people who sent words, that was basically what the Lord was saying. It's throughout the old. It's dust off the old. That's welcome in the new. And I'm just here to say to you, we're getting back to this rule. Yeah. Well, you're just doing that great because you want other people to do your job. No, I'm happy to do my job. I'm happy to do my job. But I am responsible to see to it that you grow up spiritually. And this, this is the best way I know how. Next week, there are going to be teams all over the lobbies, all the grace teams. Places and opportunities that you can serve, both here and during the week. Now I'm going to ask you, I'm seriously asking every single member, sign up. Serve somewhere. Bring your strength. Because until you do, we'll never reach our full potential. I need, we need what you have. Let me pray together. My greatest honor, Lord, is to serve you. Oh, the matchless grace that links your name to mine. You have done so much for me, Lord. What can I give to you? And so, Father, we come, each one of us, with an open heart. Lord, this is not some duty Tired and weary people have to do this is an opportunity for you to take the amazing grace you've put on our life and use it to profoundly impact other people. So I'm asking, Lord, that among us you would move and whisper, and that every single member of this church would settle on a place of considered service, to say, "Lord, you can count on me." I thank you for them, Lord. And I thank you that as we go together, a group of servants committed to bringing honor to you, that you would do things in this year that would astound us, even if we'd have been told them, we would not have believed. Let it be to your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.